All right, family, I'm continuing with the series that Pastor Carol started us on last week uh, called Bless the City. Bless the City. And so this is the series that I'm continuing with. We started last week and uh, Pastor Carol spoke about the heart of God, uh, that he would leave the 99 and pursue the one, uh, that the one is very important to God. And at some point in each of our lives, we've been that one that God has had to pursue. Uh, that God would have to, uh, you know, for some of us, God worked extra time <laughs> to get us to him. Others of us were a little bit easier uh, to win to the Lord. Uh, I'm looking at Joshua and them. Uh, <laughs> but these are some of the activation. These are some of the things that, that we are asking all of us to do during this series. You know, how do we bless the city? We are blessing the city with words. We are listening to the Holy Spirit for things about our colleagues, about our neighbors, about our friends at, at, at varsity, about people that we meet with. We are asking the Holy Spirit to give us words for them. Uh, we are eating with people. Now, there are people, when you say you are eating with people, they get excited because they love cooking. I see Zarina smiling, so I'm hoping that after this service, we're going to get an invitation from her uh, to eat with her. And so, serve with love, and then sort them, uh, which is start a conversation, ask questions, listen, and tell his story, and then tell your story. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us uh, through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so today I am going to uh, read from, let me introduce my topic, then I'll read. My topic today is people you know matter. In fact, I was thinking about this last night. Do you know that there are people that you will meet in your life that none of us will ever get an opportunity to meet? There are people that maybe because you travel a lot that you bump into these people from Places that we can't pronounce even in the world. They belong somewhere, whether in Asia, in places that you get to meet people that none of us, until we get to meet Jesus, will never see them. And those people, you are the only person who has the opportunity to bless them. The only person who can bless them is really you. And so the people you know matter to God. I want to read this scripture, but before I do, I, the Lord was reminding me of just some stories of people. There are many stories, but just a few that I want to mention here today about just the invitation to spend time with people or an invitation into something. I remember I was, before I got married, uh, they, there's a pastor in our church, uh, him and his wife, David and Carol and Webb, they they had this thing on Fridays that they called Burger Fridays for their family. And that burger night, they, you know, it was, they would not cook. They would just make burgers and they would invite people to come over and so forth. Now, during that time in the hierarchy of our church, I was like reporting to them directly. And so uh, we would chat a bit now and again. And they knew that, you know, my family was far. And so, and I was single. I wasn't married. So, uh, you know, being free on a Friday evening was a, was a normal thing. <laughs> so they, they invited me to come over to their house for the burger nights. 
and it was amazing. I just, we played games. I enjoyed eating burgers for free. I didn't get to cook or buy things. I just enjoyed free food, you know, so it was really great. Uh, and I just, that time was so precious to me. And that just speaks of the power of, you know, just inviting someone in your space and get to spend time with them. Um, I remember 2011 was, uh, was quite a, a year for me. It was, was a very, very tough year. And um, I remember having difficult conversations with Jesus. And uh, I was really on the verge of, not necessarily on the verge, but I was between two choices. I felt like at that time, just the, the ministry things weren't working the way I had imagined they would work. Things didn't pan out my way. Things just didn't work well. I was so disappointed. I was hurting. And uh, I decided to take a break to go to Cape Town for a few days. Now, if you need to take a break, go to Cape Town. <laughs> took a break, went to Cape Town to see a friend of mine who was in Cape Town. In fact, I went there because I wanted to consult with him. And uh, I just, at that time in my life, I was just so tired of doing this thing called ministry. And I just wanted the Lord to give me direction as to what my next phase was going to be and my next step because of just everything that was happening around me. And so I went to see this friend of mine in Cape Town. Um, told him, you know, he didn't have much to say. He didn't really hear from the Holy Spirit. He just wanted to entertain me. He thought I was uh, hurting and in pain. And so he just wanted, you know, to just take me to places. So he took me to Table Mountain for the first time. I was on, on top of Table Mountain. And that day it was very, very cloudy. And so the clouds were coming down. It was an amazing scene to see. And, uh, and I remember while I'm on, on top of Table Mountain, I got a call from Pastor Andrew. And... Uh, <laughs> I got a call from Pastor Andrew, and uh, at that time I was asking the Lord, Lord, I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you because I need to know what you're wanting me to do in this season of my life. Because I just, I was at a crossroad. And uh, then Pastor Andrew says to me, hey, we've, we've been talking, and him and Pastor Carol, and them, and he's like, no, we would love for you to join our team. And, uh, you know, we meet at our house if you could start coming. I was at Table Mountain, I'm seeing the clouds, it felt like a spiritual moment. <laughs> felt like I'm in heaven with Jesus and I'm hearing these words that he's saying, this is what I want you to do for this season of your life. It was such a, a significant moment and I came down from the top of the mountain and I knew what the Lord wanted me to do in that season. <laughs> and, uh, but, but the Holy Spirit reminded me of that story because... There are people who are on the verge of maybe committing suicide. There are people who are going through some painful things in their lives. Maybe you taking the time to just give them a call would mean so much to them. Maybe you don't know you're the one who is going to position them in the next assignment that God has for their lives. And so this series is for us to get out of our comfort zones and be able to reach out to other people. You just don't know what you're reaching out to somebody can mean for their life. And so I'm going to read the scripture. Everybody seems to be looking at me very soberly. So Mark chapter 2 verse 1 to 6. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. 
Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Mark chapter 2 opens with this phrase that Jesus returns to Capernaum. This implies that Jesus must have previously gone to Capernaum. And so the last time or the previous time that Jesus was in Capernaum was in Mark chapter 1. When he was in Capernaum in Mark chapter 1, the Bible says he went to the synagogue and he healed this demon-possessed man who was in the synagogue. Started, when Jesus walked in, he started to manifest and said, Jesus, we know who you are. And Jesus silenced him and said, hey, just get out of that man. Leave him alone. But something else that Jesus did is that he healed Peter's mother-in-law. If you are married, you know that your mother-in-law is so important to your wife. <laughs> and if they're sick and your friend prays for them and they get healed, you are a champion. And so... Peter brings Jesus to his house. When he brings Jesus to his house, uh, Jesus probably asked him where his mother-in-law was. And Peter said, well, she's lying in bed because she's sick. Peter said, uh, rather, Jesus says, I will pray for her. And he prayed for her. She got healed. When she got healed, she got up and made food for them. This really shows me a few things. One, either Peter's wife wasn't a very good cook. She didn't like cooking. And so that she just delegated that responsibility to her mother. <laughs> or she was not at home at that time when they arrived. But Peter's mother-in-law woke up, the Bible says, and made food for Jesus and Peter. She reminds me so much of my mother-in-law. <laughs> my mother-in-law loves to feed me. You know, Bianca is the only girl uh, in her family, so it's like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm the guy, you know, because I married the only girl in the family. So when I go to her mother's house, she would want me to eat everything she's got in the house. I mean, she'll, she'll, she'll make pop and this and that, and I would eat, and I would overhear this conversation between her and Bianca in the kitchen. Can you, can you make Mike some tea and cake? And then my wife would be like, no, Mike is okay. Mike is fine. He's just had food now. He's fine. And then there would be chit-chatting in the background. Then she's going to come back in the living room. Mike, can I please make you tea and cake? <laughs> then, then I would say, yes, mom, can you please? Then she would send Bianca, please make Mike tea and cake. <laughs> my wife would be just like, I don't want to go to my mom with you because just, she sends me all around just for you. But it's beautiful to see when the mother-in-law of Peter wakes up and makes this meal for Jesus. The coming of Jesus to Capernaum was so significant that the writer of Mark has to put an emphasis on the fact that Jesus returned again to Capernaum. And so here in Mark chapter 2, Jesus comes into Capernaum. When he comes into Capernaum, people come to hear from him. 
Because the news of the healings and the miracles that Jesus had performed had gone across that entire village. And so people gathered to hear Jesus again and to be healed by him. And so when people come, the Bible says there was no space around the room where Jesus was. I don't know if you've ever imagined how big this room may have been. Where Jesus was preaching from. I don't believe it was a smaller house because usually their houses were quite small and I don't think they would hold such a big meeting in that house. So I went to study some history and there's uh, this biblical historian who said that the headquarters of Jesus' ministry moved from Nazareth to Capernaum when the people in Nazareth did not believe in the ministry of Jesus. Because of their lack of faith in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus moved his headquarters to Capernaum. And so here this house is suggested to have been a house which was given to them that they turned into a church where they were meeting at this point. And so there are four men who are coming to Jesus to meet with him. Maybe they had seen Jesus somewhere before or maybe they had never seen him before. But they have seen the desperation of their friend and they are determined to bring this friend to Jesus. And so the Bible says four men are bringing their friend to Jesus. As they get closer to Jesus, they realize this, that they cannot get close to Jesus because of our first point, because of the crowd. They're coming to Jesus, but they are encountered with a problem. Now, a few facts about a crowd is that a crowd, usually you get lost in a crowd. You don't stand out in a crowd. A crowd can limit your access to someone or something. And so they are coming, but there is a crowd between them and Jesus. But they are determined that we will not let the crowd hold us back from manifesting our full potential and strength in God because of the crowd. The crowd was turned, instead of being a limitation for them, it became the witness of their miracle. And sometimes when we don't allow the crowd to hold us back, the same crowd will be cheering for the miracle that would have been happened, rather would have been done as a result of our faith and belief in God. The crowd. I'm reminded of a story in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 43 to 48. It's a story of a woman called the woman with the issue of blood. She had a problem and she was desperate. Scripture says that she had gone to see all the doctors she could see. And she was so desperate. And she wanted to see Jesus. But when she came close to Jesus, there was a crowd. There was a crowd that held her back from seeing Jesus. And part of a crowd was the fact that there were people around Jesus. Secondly, she had a condition that society has said to her that you cannot come closer to Jesus because you are impure. Your place is to be isolated somewhere until the high priest declares you pure. You don't belong here where you are, woman. But she was determined not to allow the crowd to hold her back from accessing Jesus. There are powerful women in scripture that inspire me like the daughters of 
Zelophehad. I don't know if you've read that story before in Numbers 27. There was a law in Israel that women were not allowed to inherit land or own land. And so there was this man who was a wealthy man and he had only daughters. He didn't have sons. And so when he died, his daughters were supposed to inherit and own the land. But in the law, it was never allowed for women to own land. They stood up and went to Moses and said, hey, we, we want to own the land that our father owned. They refused to allow the crowd in their face to hold them back from having the full manifestation of their potential. There's so much that God has placed in each one of us. But each one of us has their own crowd when we come to Jesus. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's a crowd of offense. That because you, you've helped people so much and yet in return they didn't give you what you deserved. And you've taken offense at that and you've refused so categorically that you will not help anybody else because of the disappointment and offense that you've taken from that. Maybe your crowd is, is your fear of being rejected when you pray for someone or when you invite someone to church or to Jesus. And so you know Jesus has placed the potential in, your, in the inside of you, but you are afraid that by you acting out, you're going to be rejected. I shared in the morning, in the earlier uh, service, that uh, I, I had this experience when I was doing my, uh, my undergraduate uh, degree. And um, I, accounting has not been my, you know, it's not like something I love to do. <laughs> it, it's compulsory. It's something I had to do. But I had, when, before I, I had to write two accounting papers, two financial accounting papers. And I was told by some friends who, because I was studying through UNISA, and so it's like distance learning and all this and so forth and so on. And some friends had told me, you know, just don't bother. If you fail this thing four times, it's normal. Because, like, this is hard. You've never taken it in high school. So if you, if you fail, just be fine with it. And so my mindset was that if you, if you don't pass this paper for four times, you're fine. So I remember I failed it like three times. Because every time I would go and study this thing, there would be this mind block that would say, no, man, just be fine if you don't pass this. this everybody has the same experience. You're okay. Until I felt like the Holy Spirit almost gave me a revelation to change my mind. And say, no, no, but start studying this as though you are going to pass. And so I changed the way I approached that obstacle. And I can promise you I passed. I didn't get a distinction, by the way. I'm not David and Josh, but I got 63, <laughs> which, was <laughs> which was still good for me. <laughs> but why am I saying that? I'm saying that because it was in me. It was never invented again or recreated. It was in me. But my approach had to change. To not allow the crowd to hold me back from manifesting my full potential that God has placed in me. The power is in you. The strength is in you. Everything for you to live a life that is consistent with the plans and purposes of God for your life are already in you. It's when you refuse to allow the crowd to hold you back from manifesting that then you begin to see the full manifestation of it. And so these people encountered the crowd. 
This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, he who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Imagine you're a farmer. You've worked so hard for the whole year. And when it comes time for harvesting, you start to look at the clouds. You start to look at the things that would discourage you and hold you back. And you missed out, rather you miss out on the appointment of your harvest. Not allowing the crowd to hold you back. The second thing they encountered was they encountered a problem that required their commitment. These people were so committed. I mean, imagine you were part of the crowd and you are seeing these people. We don't know how far they traveled from where they were to where Jesus was. We don't know how heavy that man was that they were carrying. Maybe that guy was quite heavy. We don't know if that guy was actually willing to go or they just said, we've got to get you there. We don't know the background of this man with his four friends. But what we see is the commitment that these four friends had. That at all costs, we will take our friends to Jesus. That we will stop at nothing but take our friend to Jesus. There's a, this man, there's a guy in our church called Freddy. He grew up as a Christian in a Christian home. He loved God from the time he was young. When he got to high school and somewhere mid-high school, he decided... This Christian life is just too boring. It restricts me from doing the things I really want to do. And so I am going to take a break from this Christian life. And I'm going to do things my way. I am going to turn my back on God. And for 17 years, he went and explored life in his own way. Turned his back on Jesus but one thing that was consistent is that his mother, over 17 years, kept praying for him. His mother kept praying for him. Over all this time where he's exploring life and doing things that went really in line with the purposes of God for his life, his mother was praying for him. After 17 years, the Lord led him uh, to meeting his now wife who shared again the love of Jesus with him. And he recommitted his life uh, to God. And from that moment onward, he's been serving God so faithfully. Imagine if his mother had stopped praying for him. Imagine if she'd said, you know what, I quit on you. You are just, you are a stubborn boy. You've chosen your own way. I will not do anything and I will have nothing to do with you. No, but his mother kept praying for him. She was committed. This is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6. The Bible says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then our harvesting of the promises of God somehow is tied to our ability to stay the course. Do you see that? That if we don't grow weary in doing good, that's when we get the harvest that God wants us to get. Maybe there's a brother of yours or a sister or your mother or your son that you have been praying for. The reward and the harvest is in you not growing weary. Is in you 
remaining committed to praying for their salvation. Commitment, which leads us to the third point, which is their faith. Now I want to repaint this picture to you. These four men are coming and are carrying their friend. They encounter this crowd and they decide that instead of backing down, we are going to dig a hole in this venue. And Jesus is preaching. In fact, the scripture says what we read, we read in the beginning that in front of Jesus, they dropped him down. What an inconvenience. Imagine you've spent money on this building. And suddenly this guy comes with his buddies and then they decide, you know what? This is all they could do. They couldn't wait for Jesus until the end of the meeting. They just decided, you know what? We're going to break this thing and drop this man down. I'll be upset. Probably the police number would be on speed dial on my phone and just like, you know what? I just need these guys to be arrested. But the Bible says this, that Jesus seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. What was there that was so faithful? What, what is it that Jesus saw in these people that exhibited faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So when these people who were sitting around and listening to Jesus thought that was an inconvenience, but Jesus was seeing the reality of their hope. I, I didn't know that hope had a reality. But it does. Because if you notice, hopeless people would change their lives to be and be consistent with their hopelessness. In other words, they will start to live life as though nothing good is going to happen to their lives. Hopeless people will always want to, if they get one cent, they just want to keep to that cent because another cent is not coming. Hopeful people create a reality around them too. It is a reality that says, hey, anything is possible with Jesus. Because these people knew the moment we get these guys to Jesus, something is going to happen. And so instead of Jesus seeing an inconvenience, he sees faith. And he says to them, your sins are forgiven. And that's the one thing I want to close with. Pastor Carol gave us this quotation last week uh, by Charles Spurgeon. That if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our excursion. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That by our ability to pray for people, to invite people to Christ, we give them a choice and an alternative to their fate. That we give them an opportunity to choose something other than what Jesus has provided for them. And if anybody happens to go to hell, that it becomes their decision, not because they didn't know that there was an alternative. 
And so the point I want to bring here is notice their condition. Because this man's condition led his friends to bring him to Jesus. I gave this example in the first service. I have uh, a brother of mine who is quite successful in his own right. He's doing very well in his uh, political career. He's always been uh, very passionate about politics. In fact, in 2006, he was a presidential candidate, uh, didn't win, and then went back, you know, rebuilt his party. And last year, he was, you know, part of the transitional government in Congo. He was nominated as a, the Minister of Foreign Affairs. And, um, but he's not saved. He's not saved because you know, he left home late 1980s and went to study in Europe. Now, if you know anything about France, France is very big on Freemasonry. Uh, in fact, before a president is elected, there's a, there's a Freemason lodge that they go to. This is not a, some conspiracy theory. This is also in the media, okay? Because you know there are conspiracy theories around Freemasonry. But this is real because it's covered also by the media. And so he was introduced to Freemasonry when he was in Paris. I didn't know that I would, because he was far, obviously we never engaged in such discussions. And when I heard from some of my family members who uh, knew about this situation, so I asked him. He's become now very open about his Freemasonry. And so uh, it was that him and his wife both were Freemasons, and so I spoke to him. Uh, would always engage in spiritual discussions. He doesn't believe in God, doesn't like to hear about God, but he likes to hear about spirituality. Because he's like, he's, he's a very deeply spiritual person. When you look at my brother from the outside, it feels as though he doesn't need Jesus. He's got money. He's got a great career. Yesterday sent us a picture that is going to uh, say a speech at the UN in the States uh, for his uh, department or ministry. When you look at the man in the natural, there's no reason that you would think he would need Jesus. But unless you notice the spiritual condition of a person, you will not realize how much they are in need of Jesus. And if these guys didn't realize that this person was sick, they would never have taken him to Jesus. Each one of us here might have a friend or two. They're so well-to-do. They're not sick. You know, sometimes it's easier to bring someone to Jesus when they are physically sick. Like, oh, no, man, we'll pray for you, man. God is going to heal you of that cancer. Sometimes it becomes easier to bring because that's like a bridge. What about when someone is healthy? They've got money. Their marriage is going well. Their kids are doing well, but yet they're not saved. Is that person still in need of Jesus? Yes, they are. But you've got to be able to notice their spiritual condition not their physical condition. Another brother of ours is my wife's older brother. He gave me a lot of trouble when I started dating my wife. A lot of trouble. He embarrassed me at family gatherings. He would treat me like I'm like this little <laughs> boy of his. <laughs> you know, I remember this one time we were sitting around the restaurant and we're just like having a serious family time. I was sitting at the other side of the table. He just bangs the table and says, Mike, come here. Come sit here. 
and the whole family's around the table. I'm like, I can't make a scene of this. I can't, you know, I, I just stood up. Oh, my wife was dying inside. <laughs> I turned around. I went. Uh, I sat at the table there. He didn't say anything to me. He just, just kept quiet. And then he continued talking to other people. I'm like, man, I came here for you. Because I'm chilled, I was like, okay, it's fine. Uh, I let him do, you know, what he wants to do for his sister, but I'm determined I'm staying here. <laughs> so he doesn't want to hear anything about God, or didn't want to hear anything about God. Recently, we were on holiday together. He's got a lot of bitterness and a lot of, you know, pain in his heart. Um, is actually Bianca's dad's son before Bianca got, uh, Bianca's mom and dad got married. And so when he grew up, was left with his grandmother, and just uh, there's a lot of family pain around that. And so as we were talking, he was expressing a lot of unforgiveness and bitterness just towards people. And I made a comment, and I knew it was a scriptural comment, but I didn't say it like Luke chapter 2 verse 1 says this. I just <laughs> said it as if it was my own wisdom. And so, <laughs> you know, and I said something to him. And then he says this. He says, well, I know it's in the Bible, that thing. But I can never be a Christian because I can't follow all the rules that you Christians follow. I just, like, I can't do it. And then I looked at him at that moment. I said to him, there's no Christian who's able to do anything good by themselves. Unless Jesus gives them the grace to do so. All of us had fallen short of his glory. It is by his grace that we are able to live to the standard of his holiness. And so you can't be a Christian by yourself. You need grace. He didn't respond to me. We just continued and he sipped in his whiskey and then we continued talking. But the reason why I share his story is because for the first time, Bianca and I had been praying for him for a very, very long time. For the first time, I have had a spiritual discussion with him and mentioned God and the Bible in our discussion. And I see the openness that God is placing in his heart. And so please be praying for him. I'm meeting them today, him and his wife, for lunch today after church, just for us to continue these discussions. The reason why I share this story is because each of us has a person like that in our own lives. And this series gives us an opportunity to be able to reach out to people and share the love of God with them. That we give them an alternative to their fate. Can we stand, please? We give them an alternative to their fate. My challenge to us today is that whatever the crowd looks like to you, the thing that would hold you back from loving someone or showing someone kindness or praying for someone, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's disappointment, maybe it's lack of immediate results that you haven't seen the things that you have been praying for, it's like, what's, what's the, is, there, is there even need for us to do that? Because I've been praying for things and nothing has happened. Just like Freddie's mom, for 17 years, she kept praying. There's a harvest when we don't grow weary. And so I'm encouraging you today. If you had stopped praying 
for your brother, your sister, your father, your mom. I'm inviting you back in that place again to start to pray for them. When we do our part, Jesus will always do his part. When these men went overboard to do their part, Jesus didn't care about what the Pharisees would say or what the crowd would think about him. He saw their faith. And I'm asking you, some, some things will require for you to be inconvenienced in some ways. Maybe you might need to be seeing someone at the time that you have your gym session and you sacrifice that 30 minutes or 15 minutes less of your gym time to be able to pray for someone or meet with someone. But I'm inviting you to make a pledge and say, I am going to bless the city. I am going to bless someone. I am going to pray for someone. Maybe it's a colleague at work who really frustrates you. They drain you. Or maybe it's a lecturer at university whom you think just picks on you all the time and you don't know why. Maybe the Lord is inviting you to stop praying for them and sharing the love of Jesus with them. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, even as we take these pledges to bless the city, to share our lives with others, we ask that you would give us your grace to do this. That you would help us to be effective for you. Thank you, Jesus. Good word, bro. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? Thank you, Lord. You know, uh, being Heritage Day, tomorrow public holiday, most of you are probably going to go and do something celebratory, either today or tomorrow, and you're going to be around some people that maybe you aren't around a lot of the time. And I really believe that God wants to put an anointing on us to go and bring the kingdom wherever you go in. Uh, Mike's going to see his brother-in-law, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I want to pray for every one of you for a grace to reach out and see where people are at in the midst of the braai or the barbecue or killing the fattened cow, whatever it might be that you celebrate on Heritage Day. But wherever you're going to go right now, I'm praying that God's going to give you the grace to see beyond what is exterior to what people are really going through, where they're really at. And trust God for an opportunity to say the right thing, to have an open door to pray for them, whatever it might be. But Father, I ask for that right now, that as before we leave, that wherever we are going right now, as each person is heading out and seeing others and being with family and friends, I ask for a grace to see beyond what they want to see and show others. That we'd see behind the mask, we'd see what's going on in their souls. And I ask, Lord, that you would create opportunities and open doors at every single person's home, gathering, wherever they go. I'm asking, Lord, a grace upon Mike even for this opportunity. Give us all opportunities to share with someone, pray with someone, take them closer to you. And Father, we pray that as we celebrate being part of a multicultural society, multicultural church, that 
you would even give opportunities to bridge cultural divides in our lives this week. And Father, I pray that you would release that grace, cause us to see prophetically, cause us to see people as you see them, and give us the prophetic word of the Lord that they need in that moment, that we will bless this city, not just because we try harder, but because we follow in your spirit, and your spirit will show us what to do. In Jesus' name, amen.